whenever we see in life, whenever we see somebody do something significant for God, you can be sure that there's always a story that precedes the glory. There's always been a, a pathway, a journey over a period of time that that person has, has been on before they get to make the headlines. And, and in fact, you'll also see in this journey that there are tests and opportunities that that individual has had to actually go through and work through before they get presented with the big one. And that's what we've been looking at over the last two weeks around the story of David. On the 4th of January, we talked about the idea that we, when we are given an assignment by God, we're also given the anointing. Anointing is a kind of a Bible word, which means empowered. The gift from God comes with batteries included. And we need to know that, we need to access that, we need to therefore have greater confidence that we can do what God's assigned us to do because he also empowers us to do it. Anointing. Last week, we talked about ability. That there's an idea that, that God has also gifted us to accomplish assignments. However, the gifts don't come plug and play. The gifts are like Ikea furniture. There's assembly required. And we, with the gifts God's given us to accomplish the assignment he's called us to, need to actually develop the gifts along our lifetime. We need to apply diligence day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, often in obscurity before we can actually take on the big battles and win them. Today, I want to use another A word. Today, I want to talk all about attitude. And not just any attitude. I want to specifically talk about the importance of passion when it comes to fulfilling our destiny in God. Now, again, we're going to continue looking at a part of David's life. Before we get to the specific part of that from the Bible, I want to just set a little bit of the scene. So here's the scene that we're about to look into. There was two groups of people. One group's the Philistines. Let's say that's this half of our auditorium. You're the Philistines. And uh, the other half, the other group uh, were the Israelites. Now, the Philistines were the enemies of God. Sorry about that, guys. The Israelites are, are the nation of God. And, and they were actually the mortal enemies. In this particular point in history, they were actually perched uh, on opposite sides of a valley, on, on, on risen ground on the opposite sides of the valley. And they were having what we've come to know as a, a Chinese standoff. That there'd be, there was a battle about to take place between the Philistines and the Israelites. The Philistines, I don't actually know why this is in this particular instance, but rather than just uh, charge en masse into the valley from one side and have the Israelites charge en masse uh, into the valley from the other side and you know, basically last man standing wins, they did what, what it was co commonly known at the time as re representative combat. Where rather than just charge on, on mass and have a, a bloody uh, massacre, they would actually choose one representative from each nation to go toe to toe with one representative from the other. It's pretty clever, right? It's quite efficient when you think about it. And it's pretty obvious who wins, unlike the bloodshed. So the Philistines, they chose their greatest. They, they chose the obvious guy, you could say. His, his name's Goliath. Now, next week, we'll get into his prowess. I'll tell you a little bit about uh, you know, why the Philistines 
chose Goliath. But suffice to say that he was the best man for the job. And in fact, he was so obvious. He was so intimidating. He was so incredibly um, fearful or, or conjure up fear that he would walk out every day from among the Philistines, stand at the front of, of the nation and taunt the Israelites, what we now know as trash talk. He would give it to them call them out. Who's going to take me on? And he did this for 40 consecutive days. And throughout that entire 40 day period, nobody from the nation of Israel, sorry about that bunch of cowards. None of you would take up the challenge to face Goliath. And after 40 days, the nation of Israel still didn't have somebody to go head to head in representative combat against Goliath. Well, Meanwhile, there's a kid, a teenage boy, a teenage boy named David. He's away from the battlefield. He's, he's home. He's back. In fact, he's, he's a shepherd looking after his old man's sheep, looking after the family farm. Okay. In obscurity. What's interesting, and, and we've picked this story up and you can check out our podcasts from the last two weeks, is that. Around the time David was 13 years old, so prior to this particular moment in time, while he was early teenager, God had actually sent a special, a special messenger, a guy named Samuel, to go and actually anoint him. This idea of, of pick him, demonstrate that he's called, affirm that he's got the power to become, to, actually for David, this teenage shepherd boy, to actually go on to become the king of Israel, to take over from the existing king. That had already happened, but as often is the case, God sometimes gives us a word, sometimes gives us a promise, sometimes gives us a very significant assignment. But before we get to actually step into that assignment, he, he sends us back and says, there's still a few more tests I want you to pass. There's, there's still a few bit more character I want you to develop. There's still a little bit of skill and gifting that I want you to develop where the stakes aren't quite so high. You're not going to kill too many people while you're getting good at that before one day I unleash you for the big assignment, king of Israel. So David gets anointed as king and then goes right back to looking after the sheep. All right, fair enough. That's his preparation. While he was preparing to become king and while he's looking after sheep, there's not a lot to do looking after sheep out in the wild, I'm told. Um, he, 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 he learned how to play the harp. And he got, really good. He, got, he got so good at playing the harp that the king at the time, a guy named Saul, who was having some issues and realized that some Barry White mood music might actually kind of settle things down, he, he, he sent for little David. David had built a reputation around his region of being a really great harpist. And so Saul sent for David to come and play harp in his court. Well, all of a sudden, David gets plucked from obscurity where he's been diligently preparing. And he's now in the courts of the king, which very much positioned him for promotion. Preparation always precedes promotion. God, I want you to promote me. God says, how are you preparing? All right. You ready to dive in to the next part of the story? It's a great story, isn't it? You just thought it was just some guy with a slingshot and some giant and then, you know, game over. Man, there's so much to this. I love it. All right. If you've got your U version, you can pop your smart device open, follow this um, with the app. First 
Samuel chapter 17, picking it up in verse 17. Now Jesse, this is David's old man, said to his son David, take this ephah, it's like a container, of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. So once again, David's brothers got the good stuff, got the, the hero opportunity. They're at the front lines in the battle. David, by the way, anointed future king of Israel, is stuck out with the smelly, stupid sheep. Sheep are stupid. That's why Jesus referred to us as sheep so often. We're stupid. That's why we need him. Take along these 10 cheeses, not Jesus, cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all of the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, right? Not going out to do battle. (laughs) See, one of the mistakes that we make is so often we're more interested in looking like we're changing the world than actually changing the world. Who wants change? Yeah. Who wants to change? Oh. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Oh, we're coming for you, Philistines. No, you're not. 40 days have demonstrated that you're not. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. And David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. I'm talking today about passion. I want to just highlight three key characteristics that identify passionate people. Passionate people carry out small assignments with a willing spirit. David has just, we just left the story there where he has now run to the front lines. Now he's alongside his brothers. He's ready. He's, 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 he's ready to check out what's actually going on on the battlefield, but that's not how his day started. In fact, that wasn't even the assignment. The assignment was, David, can you take some bread and cheese to your brothers? Some supplies. That was how the day started. He was just doing an errand for his dad. But here's the thing. Following a simple instruction with obedience positioned him for ultimate prominence. Passionate people say, I'll do it. I don't care if it's big or small, I'll do it. If God wants me to do it, I'm in. I'm all in. Give it to me. Passionate people want the ball. When the game's on the line, give it to me. That was one of Michael Jordan's absolute distinguishing feet. When the game was on the line, he wanted the ball more than anybody. Passionate people want the ball, not me. Too much responsibility. Oh, I've got to step out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Passionate people live out of their comfort zone. Even in the small assignments. And guess what? Like I said, David, David didn't say to his old man, when his old man said, here's some bread and cheese. He didn't say to his old man, Dad, I'm a king. I don't do deliveries. His dad was there when he was anointed king. It's not like his dad didn't know he was going to become the next king of Israel. David didn't even 
underline that point. David just went, yep, all right, good, I'm in. Passionate people take on the small assignments. One thing that I've noticed over many years leading churches is that how you handle small assignments is a preview of how you'll handle big assignments. I'll also tell you that if you don't handle small assignments well, you won't ever get the big assignments. One of my leadership principles is I say to people, every day is a job interview. Every day is a job interview. You want promotion? I'm not looking at what you're going to do if you get promoted. I'm looking at what you're doing now in the small assignments. Your application is your application. Deep, huh? How you apply yourself, how we apply ourselves in the small assignments is very much a preview of how we will apply ourselves in the big assignments. And we don't get to graduate to the big assignments unless we give our full devotion, application, passion to the small assignments. Every day is a job interview. And you notice this about David. His dad had given him the assignment. said, tomorrow, David, I want you to go and take the bread and cheese to your brothers. And the writer records a story, says the next day, David rose up early. That's passion, right? But I don't think you're getting this. David rose up early. That's amazing, hey? Why is that amazing? Because he's a flipping teenager. That's not what teenagers do. But it's what passionate people do. They can't wait to get started. They can't wait to make their contribution. They can't wait to be used by God. He rose up early. And then, by the way, when he got to the, to the battle area and he, and he didn't see his brothers around, he's like, Where's ev- where is everyone? Oh, they're over you know, the front lines. Cool. You look after the bread and cheese. And, 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 then, and the writer says he ran to the battle lines. He couldn't wait to get into the thick of the action. I was tempted just to spend the next 20 minutes just talking about the many Elevate people who are currently passionately taking on small assignments with great enthusiasm, with great passion. The problem is that we'd be here for more than 20 minutes because the list goes on and on and on and on. But let me give you some examples. Some examples of people who think that following Jesus and going all in is normal, which by the way it is. Um, early December last year, um, I met up with uh, Michael Remende. Now, Michael Remende is a good friend of ours. He's the 2IC of a church called The Rocks. The Rocks, a church in Cannington, kind of BFFs of Elevate Church here in Perth. And uh, we meet up pretty regularly, just exchange ideas and so on and so forth. I say exchange, it's actually steal uh, ideas uh, from one another and put the best ideas to work. And uh, so I met up with Michael for coffee. And we're just talking about different things and so on and so forth. And I mentioned to him, hey, oh, by the way, a really great thing just happened is uh, one of our guys, Baden Johnson's just stepped up to join our board. And uh, Michael says, uh, oh, Braden. Yeah, I remember Braden. Uh, okay, it's probably not the first time he's been called Braden in his life. And I remember Braden. And I said to Michael, where do you know Baden from? And he says, oh, he, um, well, here's a story. Those chairs you're sitting on, 
They're pretty nice, hey? We don't own them. We stole them from the rocks. And uh, we've stolen 150 of them. Eric, close your ears. Eric's from the rocks. He's helping us out today. Close your ears, Eric. So we've stolen 150 chairs. But, 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 but the way we did that is we sent Baden as the delivery boy. Baden drove in the middle of the night in obscurity. Nobody even knew. He, uh, he uh, picked the lock of uh, Michael's house in uh, Queens Park. The address is... I'm just kidding. Um, no, he met up with Michael and uh, the Rocks have been very generous. They've literally just loaned us these chairs uh, for a couple of years, uh, which is fantastic. And uh, so Baden went and picked them up all in boxes, frames, unassembled. Think Ikea furniture. Think 150 Ikea type chairs. And picked them up after work on a weeknight, brought them in here and got his little posse together. And they, zzz, zzz, zzz. I don't get involved because I can't do stuff like that. They put together 150 chairs. That's the, that's the story, right? This, I'm just inserting that because I said to Michael, hey, Michael, guess what? We got you know, one of our leaders, Baden Johnson. He's just joined our board. And, Baden, and, and Michael says, Baden, isn't he the guy that picked the chairs up from my garage? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's not too many Badens floating around Elevate just yet. Yeah. He's like, and he didn't have to say anything. The look on his face, it did not compute. Board members don't pick up chairs. Right? Well, I couldn't wait to tell Baden. I caught up with him a couple of days later. And Baden just goes, yeah, we do. Passionate people do small assignments with passion. Jess Judd, Jess and Chris, husband and wife, lead our Elevate Kids. And uh, this year, Jess, they've got two little boys, pretty cute. Uh, this year, it came online that she was able to get one extra day of daycare for her boys. So she had one more day during the week free. And this came up sort of late last year. And she thought, default was, oh, awesome. I'm going to be able to go and hang out with my girlfriends a bit. And then, you know, just do, this is her words. Don't, 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 don't pin me. She said, do a bit of housework and cleaning. She said, all right. Okay, and by the way, I do most of the housework and cleaning in my house, so just keep it down, keep it down. And then, I didn't know this was going on, and she pinged me one day, said, hey, Mark, can we meet up for a coffee? I've got an idea to float. Yeah, sure. So I met up later that week. She's told me the story. I've had this extra day come up uh, with daycare, so my boys can go in there, so I've got a day free. And I felt God say to me, I want you to give that day to me. God, not me, God, here every Monday behind the scenes in our operations team doing whatever's required, anything from photocopying to scanning to data entry to whatever. The unseen, highly important, not glamorous stuff. And so she started that on Monday and she couldn't wait to get home and put it up on Facebook that God's using her one day a week voluntarily in our operations team. Hashtag, I am Elevate Church. Passionate people do the small assignments. Now, Debbie DeBlanc, she's down the back with little Alex. Alex, shh. Um, and uh, come on, team effort here, Debbie. I know you're thinking the same thing. Um, Debbie DeBlanc is a, a high-powered property lawyer in the CBD. She's got her own personal assistant. And uh, what you'll see, 
she's currently on maternity leave. That, that's, but, but, but even when she's working in that job Monday to Friday, two weeks out of four, she's got an orange T-shirt on and she's in our Elevate Kids Toddlers environment investing in to kids age one to four. Passionate people do small assignments with great enthusiasm. Now, I could go on. Those are three of many, 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 many examples. And we need to be people who take on big assignments with a willing spirit and small assignments with a willing spirit. Even our paid team members, our paid team members, they've got a job description, they get paid an amount, they've got objectives, they've got things they need to do. But every single one of our leaders, we say to them, that's 80% of your job. The other 20% is whatever it takes to get it done. Well, I don't do picking up rubbish. Yeah, you do. It's in the 20% clause. I don't do scanning. I don't do photocopying. I don't. Yeah, you do. And by the way, I never have to enforce it, by the way, because their job interview was every day before they got given the job. And they were already demonstrating a willing spirit, doing small assignments with great passion. And I love that. Passionate people also interpret intimidation as an invitation. As David was talking with his brothers, now on the front lines on the Israelite side of the valley, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines. Now, here we are, 41 days of this, and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Well, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Understand, David was there listening to the exact same trash talk from the exact same guy in the exact same setting as they'd been listening to for 40 years, uh, 40 days. And guess what? David heard all of that. Same guy, same words, same setting, same everything. They viewed it as intimidation. David viewed it as an invitation to do something great from God. Great from an invitation from God not intimidation by an enemy of God. Passionate people interpret intimidation as an invitation. And see, it's a mistake whenever we see someone do something great for God to think that they would never had any obstacles, never had anything that blocked them being successful. You know what? You can almost always see that they didn't get a free kick. You can almost always see when you trace their footsteps back that they experienced the same sort of intimidation as other people who didn't push through. And yet it's because they thought, yeah, this is so big that I'm going to do this and I'm going to rely on God. It's an invitation for me to trust him in an unprecedented manner. And that was David. And finally, my final takeaway is passionate people fight to the finish in the battles that matter most. I want to introduce you to Ed Joseph. Let's put Ed's photo up on there. Thanks, Sarah. This is Ed Joseph. Now, Ed, not the the cover of the book. That's another guy. Uh, This is Ed Joseph. Ed Joseph is a 24-year-old graphic designer from Bristol in the UK. Ed Joseph, in March 2014, purchased a Sony PS3 on Gumtree from a particular seller for 80 great British pounds. Problem is, as sometimes happens with the whole online auction sites, particularly when you do a direct bank transfer, is that the seller didn't send 
Eric the promised goods. So Eric, having shelled out the 80 pounds for the PlayStation 3, the PlayStation 3 didn't arrive. Well, guess what? Eric, in a very British way, was rather bothered. He thought to himself, this really does make the old blood boil. That's British trash talk. I know. It's pretty scary stuff. Well, rather than take this situation lying down and do nothing about it, because passionate people fight to the end in the battles that matter most, Ed designed a revenge strategy. He decided that in the course of the next week, he would text the entire works of Shakespeare to the seller. He had the guy's mobile number. So he found a computer workaround that would allow him to send one after the other after the other in 140 character text messages, 24 hours around the clock, the entire works of Shakespeare. He was three days in to his revenge, having sent 17,424 text messages, at which point he still had 15 of Shakespeare's works to send. The seller of the PlayStation started to call Ed, begging him to stop sending the text messages. But passionate people fight to the end in the battles that matter most. So Ed, knowing he still had 15 works to go, pressed on. Next week, we're going to talk about David fighting Goliath, but what I want to do before we do is just make sure we have an understanding of what it was that motivated David. He, he, at this time, he's still the anointed king, but in this particular chapter, the delivery boy. But he's now on the front lines alongside his brother. He hasn't been enlisted. In fact, he's not even officially part of the army. He's kind of in the way. And he's just inquiring. Dad wants me to let him know how your boys are going. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out, meaning Goliath? He comes out to defy Israel. Well, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. Invitation to everybody there, but they hadn't taken it because they had given into intimidation. He'll also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done? For the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And then he said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The reason we've called this message Sticks and Stones is because David goes on to kill Goliath with, with a, a slingshot kind of deal. Okay, so spoiler alert, not just the, the outcome of the story, but also the method. But the method is very much inconsequential if we don't first get clarity with our motive. Why would anybody, including David, an untrained, unenlisted shepherd boy, 
want to ever take on this seemingly invincible opponent. Clarify the motive. Well, we get a little bit of insight into his motive. He asked the question, he sort of heard, you know, telling about what's going to happen. He leans in, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? I translate that very question into a question that is very, very prevalent in our society today. Before anyone does anything that's uncomfortable. The question is this, what's in it for me? And that in and of itself is often the determining question as to whether we go on and fight a battle or whether we retreat and never put ourselves up to be used by God in a victory. What's in it for me? Well, if you've ever asked that, you're in good company because David asked that. That was his question. Well, what's in it for me? If, 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 okay, fellas, quick, 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 quick. Hypothetically, I know you don't know me, but just out of interest, hypothetically, but I'm glad that David then shifted gears to ask a better question. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I translate this as David moving from asking the question, what's in it for me, to asking the question, what's in it for God? In fact, I'd even like to say that the, the question, what's in it for me, isn't even a question about motive. It's a question about incentive. The next question, what's in it for God, that's the question about motive. Because this incentive is extrinsic. Motive, what's in it for God, is intrinsic. What's in it for me is ephemeral. It'll, it'll come, it'll go, you get a hold of it, maybe you don't. If you get a hold of it, maybe it'll last, maybe it won't. It's passing. It's like a Snapchat message. Over here, motivation, what's in it for God, you're now starting to ask the eternal question. You're now starting to ask the bigger question. You're now starting to answer the most important question and possibly in the scope of eternity, the only important question. And this question is based on revelation, not based on information. This question is based on whatever it takes, not what's comfortable. This isn't even a question of what do I have to give up? This is a question of, wow, you mean somebody could actually be used by God to do something significant? David found Goliath's attack on the people of Israel reprehensible. He saw it as a direct insult to God himself. And he wasn't willing to let God be insulted. He wasn't willing to let God be overlooked. He wasn't willing to let the enemies of God win the battle. And passionate people, they recognize the problem and they position themselves to be part of the solution. It's one of the secret weapons that are going to help you and me make our resolutions more than words this year. Because some of the incentives will come and go this year. The, the good ideas, and they, they may very well be good ideas, and, and, the, and the reward structure that you've kind of put in place when you achieve some milestones, may be a good thing. In fact, there's a couple of incredibly well-written books 
that were released in 014 that become uh, New York Times bestsellers around the power of habits and how to make habits and keep habits. And, and, and the idea of the right sort of incentives is one of the key things to reinforcing new behavior patterns. By the way, before you get too excited... A slice of chocolate cake is not the ideal incentive to keep you going for your 8K run. But there are some appropriate incentives. But even the best incentive, even the most uh, uh, well-thought-out incentive, even the most uh, important and useful incentive, even it will come and go. And so it's not all bad to have incentives, but at the core of our lives as people who follow Jesus, the question that we Ask That is a much better question than what's in it for me is the question, what's in it for God? And how can he use me for his glory? I want to ask one more question of you this morning before we finish up. And that's the question of whether you've put your faith in God. on, On a surface, it sounds like a pretty simple question. Have you put your faith in God? But it's a little bit kind of deeper than just a simple question. It's, a, it's an eternal question. It's a question that we ask every week publicly. And it's a question I want you to ask yourself today. Have you put your faith in God? Yes or no? It's only a yes or no. It's not a maybe. It's a yes or no. And if it's a no, if you're saying, you know what, Mark, actually, I've never put my faith in God. I don't have a relationship with him. I've never trusted him. So your answer is no. We want to give you an opportunity in a moment to to make your answer yes. To say, yes, I'll put my trust in God. I want to know him. I want to follow him. I want to experience him. I want to understand his calling on my life. It starts with putting your faith in him, putting your trust in him. So for those of you who've never made that decision to put your faith in God. In a moment, I just want you to put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. But when you put your hand up, what you're saying is, not to me, but you're saying to God, God, I, I want to put my trust in you. Now I'll see your hand and then you can put it down and then we're going to pray. Really quickly, just before we finish, go on your buddy. Who else? Right now, now's your opportunity. If you've never said yes, yes, I've put my trust in God, then here's your opportunity to make that decision to say yes this morning. I'm putting my trust in him. Just slip your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray real quickly. We don't want to miss anybody. I've seen one person put their hand up already. Let's pray. How about you all say this prayer after me, especially that person that lifted their hands and say this with passion, shall we? Dear Jesus, today I say yes to putting my trust in you, my faith in you. I decide... From this day forward, to follow you forever. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving me a brand new start. In Jesus' name, I pray. And some of you can say amen or amen. We don't care. Everyone say amen. Fantastic. Louis. Beautiful.